Welcome back to episode five of the Ghastly Podcast. This week we'll be looking at Hausa by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Compared to Amityville, compared to all the other films that we've covered so far in this series, Hausa stands out on a completely entire different plane of film, of everything. So, first of all, Joanna, could you take us through a little bit about what this film is, where it came from, what it's about? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I'll do my best because obviously it can be quite complicated. So as you said, um, this film is from Japan. It was made in 1977 and it is essentially the story of a girl called, well, depending on which subtitles you watch, she's either called Angel or Gorgeous. We will refer to her as Angel for the rest of the episode. But I am Mm -hmm. aware that on some streaming services, she is called Gorgeous for some reason. So Mm. It was um, confusing at first because I was like, who's Gorgeous? And then I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's, all right. oh, it's just Angel. But yes, yeah. just keep, just be aware whenever we refer to Angel that we also mean gorgeous. Angel gorgeous. So it's about a girl called Angel um, who is quite an ordinary Japanese schoolgirl. It starts off as very much like a teenage school film. And um, her dad essentially has a new stepmother who Angel hates because she misses her own mother who's been dead for eight years and what she does is she decides to go to her aunt's house in the countryside and bring her friends along and her aunt says yes of course and so angel brings with her six friends and i'll just go quickly through who they all are and they're Mm -hmm. all very conveniently named after their kind of personality traits so this prof who is the academic smart one there's melody who is the musical one there's kung fu who is the athlete there's Mac, who is presumably named after Big Mac or McDonald's, who loves food. There's Sweet, who is basically a sweetheart. And there's Fancy, who is constantly daydreaming. And so they all decide to go on a summer holiday together to Angel's aunt's house. And at their aunt's house, at Angel's aunt's house, that's when things start getting a little bit weird. So Mac mysteriously disappears and then when she fa- and then when Fantasy goes to look for Mac, she finds her severed head in a well. And then gradually, one by one, the other girls also begin to disappear. And it gradually becomes apparent that Angel's aunt is a witch who mm. is essentially consuming the girls from within her house. Mm. And Angel herself kind of becomes possessed after using her aunt's mirror, we assume, by the spirit of her aunt. And gradually, as the girls get killed off more than one, so her aunt's her aunt's dead, right? Her aunt is. I'm not sure. I couldn't really tell. Yeah, aunt, I don't know because I feel like when I first watched it, I didn't really get the sense that she was dead or whether she was a vampire or this kind of thing. But she sort of yeah. hovers in this space of being a ghost and also being a kind of vampire-like yeah. creature. Exactly. I don't know exactly what the status of her of the body that she appears to them as the aunt is, whether that's her real body that's alive and mm. that she just can also possess people, whether she's a vampire or a ghost. That's mm. never made entirely clear. But what is clear is that the aunt is essentially consuming everyone mm. and killing them all to sustain herself. And then she possesses Angel. And unfortunately, the film doesn't really have a happy ending. They all die, apart from Angel, who now possessed by her aunt. So um, it's not really alone. Angel, is it? Exactly. But alone in the house, she invites her stepmother, who she doesn't like, to come. And they have a kind of moment of reconciliation and it's all very beautifully lit. And then Angel kills her. Mm. And that's the end. Which is just very... (laughs) She sort of burns her up into... She does. She literally bursts into flames. Yeah. 
and so and it's very it, it's isn't this a thing though even though it's got such a odd ending and you know no one ever comes to help the girls they all die at the end even well there's Angel. someone there's someone coming to help right the teacher there is but he is constantly expected and then never arrives. Well, he he he, he, t- he transforms into a pile of bananas. Yeah, what an idiot. Useless. <laughs> and again, I think this is something that you can connect to Army Seville in terms of the complete impotence of any and all help. Yeah. There's this constant expectation yeah. and it just never comes. Exactly. But yeah. They're very much on so their own. So this is a funny thing, though, with House. Even though... I don't know. Would you say House is a scary film? Because even though... Or a sad film, even. Because everyone dies at the end... Um, help never arrives mm-hmm. but at the same time it's just so z- I don't want to say zany I you can say zany it's just shot in such a way that is so unlike anything else yeah that it's just pure entertainment yeah the whole it's, way through I, I sat through the entire thing just kind of in a state of disbelief to be honest I mm. I've never seen anything like this film um, that it could even get made, that it could even get financed. Yeah, and also, so Toho, the studio, they were the ones mm-hmm. who... Um, Hauser was kind of a pre- approached as a project to be a kind of follow-up to Jaws, <laughs> <laughs> which I find just tops it all off perfectly because... Mm-hmm. When you think, oh, how can we, you know, capitalise on the success of Jaws? Yeah, we want a commercial um, horror film here. Yeah, it's really going to bring people into the cinemas. You know, it's going to it's gonna be very straightforward, simple work of genre f- cinema. And then you come up with Hauser and you're like, wow, I'm so happy this got made. But how, how, how did this happen? Yeah, I think what you're saying about whether it's scary, whether it's whether it's sad you know whether it's just joyful whether it is just joyful i think it has a lot to do with how this film got written in the first place which Mm. is with with heavy consultation from obayashi's daughter yeah so essentially he consulted with her in the making of the film and she actually came up with some of the ways in which some of the girls died mac for example um so she disappears originally trying to what is it like a watermelon that they're yeah. trying to get. Yeah, they they put a watermelon in the well so that it cools down and Mac goes out to grab it and then she disappears. And so when Fantasy mm. goes out to look for Mac, she looks in the well and instead of a watermelon in the well, it's Mac's severed head, which then obviously mm. like comes alive and starts talking to her. Yeah, so that, for example, um, was thought of by Obayashi's daughter. The bit where Melody, the iconic scene where Melody kind of can't stop playing a piano and it gradually eats her fingers and then it just pulls her in and it's got like all the cut up body parts floating around on a screen. That was um, his daughter as well. And his daughter was also 10 years old at the time of scripting. So this literally comes from the imagination, half of it, of a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old Japanese girl. And I love that personally. I love that. It, it makes a lot of sense, yeah. I think it, that's part it, of the joy of it. The fact that that is just purely childish, but also imagination present absolutely because when you're a child you get this you have this kind of unfiltered idea of what's scary i guess mm. um before it gets sort of intercepted by society and what's expected yeah. of you and and you know all those kinds of things when you're a kid you're experiencing everything in a very pure way i suppose exactly so because it's not as if when the you're film, afraid it's a kind of pure fear it's really not as if the film doesn't have underlying themes of kind of social anxiety. of course it does and we'll get onto them in a bit yeah. especially with the whole kind of um callbacks to world war ii and generational differences etc um but i like the fact that pretty much all of the death sequences in particular kind of the 
pure horror aspects of it do have this very, very imaginative, childlike, literally because it was conceived by a child, um, very childlike aspect to them. And I think that's Mm. what makes it so different from a film like Amityville. Obviously, they've got in common this um, idea of kind of the house and the situation as kind of an allegory for anxieties of disruption facing Mm. the respectively American and Japanese society at the time. But whereas Amityville takes itself reasonably seriously, I think House obviously has that pure imagination, that pure fun, which actually doesn't make it that much of a horror. It doesn't really make it a horrifying watch at all. It makes it genuinely quite fun. Yeah, the experience of watching it is bizarre because it's very overwhelming, first of all. The whole thing is so um, maximalist in the way mm. that it's put together. For example, that whole thing about, you know, the, the, sort of the juvenile feel of it, I think that's influenced a lot by the very naive special mm. effects. The girls are being picked off one by one in these absolutely bizarre circumstances by the aunt. For example, Melody being eaten by the piano and losing her fingers while she's playing and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And you're having these um, sequences of, of, of very sort of a rudimentary CGI yeah. um, occurring. It's which like meant frames to be have literally been cut up with scissors. Mm. Yes, yeah. And, and it probably was actually. Yeah, It reminds me of, um, you probably never seen it because it's, it's not a horror film but it's just a Czech film from the 60s called Daisies which is really good and I would recommend it to people and that is about um, these two girls who just kind of go around Prague like messing everything up and like throwing food at each other that's a whole other kettle of fish obviously but I think that in a way is weirdly aesthetically it has some aesthetic similarities with House because there's the same kind of thing of literally chopping up the film cells and imposing them on one another to create these really fun really visually enjoyable kind of special effects. And I think that's something that's really nice about these films, and especially films from like the 60s and 70s, because I think there is something to the idea that CGI, as good as it is these days, is in a weird way less of a fun watching experience than actually the kind of more rudimentary, but um, clearly crafted with love um, practice, literally in this case of how I was literally cutting up film cells. And I think it's kind of got that very DIY arts and craft feel to it, you know? Yeah, it does. It's kind of, it's very raw and sort of, I think that the feeling, it matches perfectly the kind of the sense of like naivety and, and sort of child childlike charm of the mm. film itself in, in, in what's going on. Because when you have cells being sort of cut up in this way, it um, it injects the entire thing with a sense of spontaneity, a sense of um, playfulness. Mm. Um, and I think... Yeah, I, I agree. I think in a way, well, CGI has kind of got to a place where so much money and time is being spent on um, rendering complex CGI. Yeah, I feel you're... like not only would House 2021 never get made, it would even if it did, it, I, in a weird way, it wouldn't be as fun. No, I mean, that's actually such a good idea. Like, what, what would it look yeah. like if... What would this whole thing be if it was, if, if it was CGI'd? I think it would be completely different. I think it would be... I think it would be unappealing. I think there wouldn't be much to it but it's so innately a part of the project of the director you know um the cgi was meant to look childish and bad it was meant to look quite Mm. um so it's all intentional yeah apparently i mean i don't know if he's i don't know if he's just saying it because um he's like yeah yeah, yeah, i was meant to do that yeah we meant to do it like that (laughs) 
interesting with House that even though obviously it is a horror film and it does um, contain, it's not really gory, but I would imagine an eight-year-old would probably be a bit distressed by certain scenes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Do you, it's at the same time a film that really, like, I really, I think, can still very much appeal to children. Like all the main characters are kind of like young teenagers, etc. And also, um, none of them were professional actors, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, they were all models, and so this was all again. It kind of adds to the whole DIY feel, mm. but like. You know the start of the film, for example, where they're, you know, they're just at school and then they're like, okay, yay, we're going to go on a summer holiday. Mm. And like, there's all these like pop music being played over it. And there's that scene where they're all like walking through like the green land and green grass and they're like in their summer clothes, like, yay. And it like, I think it's that a bit where it says who everyone is, like, that's fantasy, that's sweet, mm. blah, 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 blah. And they're all like, um, they're all archetypes. And they're aren't in a they? bus and a train. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, honestly, I'd just watch a film of them going on their nice, fun summer holiday day where nothing goes wrong mm-hmm. and it's good <laughs> this thing because it starts because that, that's like the good first half an hour no one dies until like 45 minutes in it's not a very mm. long film and this is the thing because even though it never really lures you into a sense of security because you know it's a horror film it's advertised as such you know that um things are going to mm. go down and there are hints right from the start especially about the aunties um kind of witchy nature it does it doesn't trick you, but it does kind of pull you in to really, even as archetypes, to really actually feeling for these characters and thinking, oh, I don't want you guys to, you know, all get horribly killed one by one. They're very two-dimensional, two but they're, they still manage to be endearing and kind of engaging, mm-hmm. even though they're almost yeah, deliberately meant they're to be... very entertaining. I know, they seem intentionally shallow. And that's what made me think Angel is fleshed out in a way... Well, Angel slash gorgeous. She's fleshed out in a way... That none of the other characters are obviously because of course she's the protagonist but then are these more archetypal individuals extensions of angel are they different facets of angel because when you think about stories and like the stories that work and, uh, and and are powerful you know they all involve um they all involve like they're not real people they're they are archetypes so you yeah. you're never you're never seeing fully fleshed out individuals but then perhaps that's how it works when you're a kid you know like when you have a group of friends everyone adopts the role in a group of friends especially like you know um in an adolescent group of friends and you kind of see or you process your friends as sort of extensions of you in a way i don't know if i don't know does that make any sense no i do know what you mean i think perhaps that could be perhaps a way of interpreting the central crux of the film in that say for example obviously the scene where angel um puts the lipstick on and kind of gets consumed in flames and then ostensibly possessed by the auntie could mm. i guess that could like obviously she's changed from that point on she's very different and i suppose you could um interpret that as a kind of um moment of her kind of like reaching maturity and to reach maturity and become like a full a fully like rounded human being she has to consume these archetypes like it's no longer it's no longer sufficient to live in archetypes and she can't become a wholly fulfilled person yeah without i like that consuming them all and yet at the same time because they're all sleeping at the end it's not like we forget these mm. archetypes she has to eat all time. her friends before she can like before she can burn her stepmother youth. to death 
Yes. <laughs> That's such an interesting idea. I think and that... I think I saw that in a letterbox review, by the way, just clarify. I didn't just come up with that myself. Well, I, I mean, think someone on Letterboxd said it first. It yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I think that leads quite interesting into the the kind of the discussion of femininity that's going on in the film. Um and generational mm. femininity and yes, uh, gender roles. Because also when she obviously she's wearing Western, like kind of like girls' clothes. Mm. for the first half of the film and then after she gets possessed in the lipstick scene um she's only ever really seen in like traditional japanese i think also i'm not 100 percent sure but i think these are also the kind of clothes that you would expect like an adult woman to mm. be traditionally wearing and so i think there is perhaps this idea of youthful innocence and simplicity contrasted with um it's kind of more mature not necessarily traditionalism but age mm. at the very least and with that you also get the the kind of contrast between japan of the past and then japan of of of, of the the day you know during the 70s when it was becoming quite a consumer culture i guess you could say and i mean um, mac is literally named after mcdonald's oh yeah exactly like that's yeah. such a good encapsulation of of what's going on in japan at that time you know there's this of course there's sort of the, there's western influences and there's this there's this mm. push for modernization that comes with the the explosion of a consumer culture and also the mm. fact that these girls um they are the generation that that has grown up completely oblivious of of the Second World War and Japan's part in the Second World War yeah. and, and the experiences and of Japanese people in the Second World War. Something that's really interesting about the film, the fact that Auntie has this past with... Um, remind me, it was her... Was it her boyfriend, husband? Yeah, husband, so I she was... Remember, they were engaged, died. right? Mm. And he died in the Second World War. And we get that... Um, we get literally um, flashbacks to that kind of filmed very deliberately in a very like archaic black and white um sped up style literally like a newsreel from the 1940s yeah mm. and, and the, the, so the... it's literally again it kind of takes these through the way it actually through the aesthetics of the film it has these connotations mm. so modern day is very childish um very like bright colors mm. very diy and then these flashbacks are all literally kind of shot to look like a 1940s newsreel etc mm. and the girls the girls when they're on the so this conversation is happening on the train isn't it they're they kind of mm. i mean the whole film is so cartoonish but like the whole sequence like you said you know the initial you know 30 minutes or so um you get this really like hyper exuberant hyper saccharine treatment yeah. of of uh, of the girls when they're sort of you know they're hanging out together there's music in the background it kind of feels like a like an advert or something um and then they get on the train and then they ask uh, angel about you know her her aunt like the story behind you know where they're going and then angel's talking about her aunt and then the story that happened you know the sort of the kind of the romance between her and this man who never came back from the war and the girls are mm. watching the, they're commenting on the footage that we're seeing right yeah it's as if they're literally watching a film watching it as a film yeah and then they're going so again, oh how a... sweet how romantic how cute oh how lovely you know yeah and it's like them if you if you kind of extract that and you sort of um apply it to their relationship to to their own national history or, or the past just yeah they general. can't really conceive of it as a real concrete thing they can only see it in terms of kind of media fr framings of media consumption yeah they literally see it as like a film mm. and and that they can't conceive of it as real life yeah and and, and almost well like with the amateurville horror like what we were saying last week um 
you can't really conceive of those things as genuine things anymore because they've been sort of they've been eaten by by media it's something sort of detached from the actual event itself you know like like folklore like cinema like any form of art really um mm. so yeah they, they can't really they can't really process or, or even imagine or understand what the aunt must have gone through i see in your eyes where tomorrow is hiding So do you think you could suggest that therefore Angel at the end after her transformation in the mirror scene is again she's kind of consuming she's kind of turning consumerism on its head and she is consuming mm. the consumerism and kind of not returning to I don't think that the film is in any means a celebration of traditional Japanese values but she's kind of so it's after the transformation where she kind of becomes one with the consuming auntie mm. um, that she obviously as I was saying is in this kind of more mature Japanese dress and then there's the bit at the end where obviously she obliterates her stepmother who she doesn't like who mm. is also in western dress for example do you think that in line with Angel's kind of maturity and kind of coming into her own as a fully fulfilled human being, she is therefore able to kind of cast aside these kind of rather ridiculous, simplified, consumeristic notions and actually kind of turn them back on their own heads. Yeah. That, and kind of return to the past in a way. It's an interesting idea because I think it hinges on whether or not you see Angel at the end of the film as being actually Angel because we're seeing Angel on one level but we're also seeing the aunt in angel's body and then that that connects to that idea mm. of what metaphorically you know a kind of a literalization of what happens between all generations in a way what do you think i'm not sure i think it's a film that you could deliberately interpret in both ways or as in i think it leaves itself open to interpretation i don't want to argue that a film is advocating for one particular view of the generation so whether you know we need a return to traditional values or whether um, it's inevitable this consumerist generation will return to um kind of its ancestors or whether actually it's say for example because you could say whether if you think the angel has been completely consumed and it's just her aunt then you could still interpret the ending of the film as very sad and you could interpret it for example as an idea of the older generation and kind of its trauma kind of sucking in the younger generation, more hopeful younger generation mm. and consuming them needlessly. I think all of those interpretations can exist at the same time. And I definitely would hesitate to argue that the film deliberately really tries to push for one of them. Mm. I really think it's about how you, whether you interpret the ending as like a sad thing of like, oh, what a tragedy, like they've all been consumed or whether you interpret it in the way that I said before as kind of none of the girls is actually being real and angel and her aunt kind of being one rather than angel just like the other girls having been consumed mm. by the older generation i think they can both exist as interpretations i think that's what makes it such a fun film as well the fact that there's so many different ways to look at it yeah i think it's ripe for interpretation um and especially given the fact that so much of it was sort of designed or came out of the head of the daughter of the director um it's so heavily symbolic in its 
depiction of femininity of modernity and the past mm. and with regards to with regards to sort of what happens with the aunt and how she preys on girls who are specifically unmarried young women i think that's a big theme in well, maturation and, and loss of innocence is a big theme in house anyway yeah. And I think it's the idea that the younger generation can afford to be innocent. And they can afford to be so innocent about things like the West and consumerism because, like you were saying before, they just can't really comprehend the complete trauma that Japan has suffered only 30 years prior. So everything that we're seeing, you know, the, the images that we we, we get, um, such as, you know, who ends up in the clock? I find that bit really haunting. That's sweet. So S- sweet ends up just trapped in a clock. And like, it's it's a very dark moment because like, of course, it's ridiculous. And like on, on one level, it's it's it just doesn't it's not frightening on one level. But then there is like a kind of deeper level where you're just like. You could imagine seeing that in a dream, couldn't you? And just being horrified mm. of this person just being trapped yeah. in a clock. And you, I don't know, it's kind of, you know, it reminds me of, I don't know, something something that would happen in like a David Lynch film, for example, you know. Yeah. Um, just like one of those sort of very stark images that's that's ridiculous, but it is terrifying at the same time on a certain level, on a more, perhaps on a deeper level. And You could argue for there being some symbolic value to the fact that it's a clock. In How Would perhaps. You Do It? In this, in the sense that um, obviously it's associated with time, mm. and it is kind of a literal sense of kind of being frozen in time and therefore removed from time at the same time. Sorry, I'm saying the word time too many times <laughs> in this sentence. Well, you know what I mean, as in yeah. like with the idea of generational conflict, mm. the fact that one of the girls gets consumed because she is just physically trapped in the embodiment. Of time. Mm. Like the aunt. I think. The aunt's waiting, right? Yeah, we don't actually see what the aunt really does in the rest of it. Does she just live in this house full time? Like, does she ever... Who does she interact with outside of these girls coming for, you know, their summer holiday? Well, yeah, I guess the implication at the beginning when she kind of... She's in the... uh, She's in that chair, isn't she? And she meets them and she's... Yeah, she's kind of like an old spinster because um, her fiancé died. There's a sense that she's got, like, prematurely grey hair as well. So therefore she preys on youth. Mm. And yeah, she's thought of as being sort of frozen in place after the disappearance of her betrothed in war. She's frozen in time herself in the sense that she can't move forward. She's she's stuck without being able to move on, uh, which I think is quite interesting because um, perhaps if we if we steer it now towards like thinking about the role of the house in, in the film, um, the house was intended as the place where she was going to live with her fiancé. But then she's condemned to remain in this sort of liminal, uncertain space of not knowing whether he's alive or dead. Uh, but then also being kind of trapped in a pre-formulated idea of the life that she was going to be living. And she's sort of, it's yeah. been sort of corrupted and derailed and made uncanny because she can't, she can't fulfill that, that future anymore. So she's mm. trapped in a sort no, of... Exactly. And so I think it's this kind of injection of youth into the house that... Simultaneously, it gives her something to do, but also she kind of has no choice. Well, you know, yeah, you get bored. Honestly, 
but even without the <laughs> even without the horror aspects, like the first half, where then she's like, oh, you know, make yourselves at home. Yes, well, yeah, you know, get a watermelon for yourselves. It'll be like, it's just like, oh, how yeah, nice. Yeah, she seems. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just have a lovely holiday like yeah. this? Well, I guess maybe this is almost, I don't know whether it's a compulsion or whether it's choice, but whatever it is, she ha- she ultimately leeches off this kind of youthful press. I don't know whether it's out of kind of jealousy or... Perhaps, mm. yeah. I think maybe a combination of factors. But it's definitely this idea of um, kind of these two separate worlds that when they come together, Mm. the old inevitably like drain something from the young. And Mm. whether you interpret that, like I was saying before, whether you interpret that as kind of like a call for the young to actually understand the history the very recent history and the trauma of Japan and understand the sheer uniqueness of their naivety and their consumerism or whether you interpret it as a kind of call for the old to let the young um, kind of make this new path is up to you. But I think Mm. there's still this definite idea of like, well, it just kind of inevitably, there must be this kind of conflict, even if it doesn't seem like one on the surface. Yeah, and and a sense of... um one generation feeding off the other yeah but then also just like generations not being able to understand each other and and mm. well then also when you think about it though to be fair they're kind of leeching off here in a way they're the ones who are like can you come on <laughs> some ho- holiday to your house can we just live with you for free for a few Absolute weeks Absolute vampires <laughs> i think the house itself is interesting as a destination because it definitely fits into the uh thing that gothic film kind of established as the, as the terrible place that the protagonist and, and their companions head out to to see a sort of physical embodiment of their lives um sort of the metaphor becoming real um and in that sense it's it's also a mm. journey into the past as well as a journey towards something horrific that's been repressed mm. i love the repression honestly again yeah just like amityville <laughs> just like amityville. i think You're like, well horror <laughs> no, is just horror is just very think... freudian okay there's just a lot Actually, of yeah i think all of horror is just about repression in a way because it's just about it's it's just anxiety it's all about anxiety mm. that's you know and i feel like horror is just the sh- you know horror is about literalizations of of fear isn't it but even, so yeah obviously but even now i still feel like there's always i can't think of any horror films that don't even have a slight bit of padding or frills to actually hint at a deeper kind of anxiety like obviously we would all be anxious if a piano started eating us etc yeah i'd be anxious about that if that happened but it's never just like oh wouldn't it be like messed up if this happened there's always even if i think even if a horror film isn't necessarily intending to do so and obviously house very much is this sense of because obviously house has all of this framing of yeah but it's not just about the anxieties of like objects turning back it and all your friends dying mm. it's also the anxieties of um a generational conflict one generation that doesn't understand the other and doesn't understand trauma and in a way kind of perhaps you could say that the anxiety of house is that young aren't anxious enough mm. like they just they're so naive like they don't realize and the whole thing again with um all of angel's friends dying i feel like some of the things that i'm saying are contradicting things i've said previously <laughs> Me but too. again this, these are all just various interpretations these are all just mm. discussions but i feel like all of angel's friends dying kind of is like a reenactment of um kind of the threat to the young in particular of things like the second world war mm. that just don't even cross that generation's mm. minds because they're so detached from it whereas the auntie's generation obviously her fiance went missing um 
etc. Everyone in Japan who's the auntie's age would have known people their age who died. And a whole generation of people who get left behind when their partners go to war. Mm. Um, and there's a whole generation of, of, of you know, um, widowers, spinsters, people who just have their lives kind of stopped prematurely after mm. that loss. And, and yeah, I completely agree with what you say about, um, there was a really interesting analysis by um, Evan Calder-Williams in his article, Sunset with Chainsaws. He looks at a couple of other horror films as well, but he mentions House and he talks about how the film makes a very deliberate use of advertising aesthetics their their lives it's like one continuous advertisement isn't it and the whole thing has this sense of it's unreality on one level yeah but then it's also um it's also kind of like an impossibility like everything's impossibly cheerful and i think that's interesting when you look at um the depiction of the stepmother because what i found so funny about um the way she's portrayed in the film is that she's constantly she's got this uh, uh, scarf of sort of like a gauze scarf and it's constantly floating like she's got yeah. everything else is completely she's still she's like this ridiculous hyper um, hyper stylized vision very glamorous of like the elegant lady yeah, so yeah. Ele- elegant and again, contemporary like we woman she's very westernised she's very westernised yeah especially compared to I mean isn't it literally that um, her so Angel's dad was in Italy um, and now, like, he comes back at the start of the film mm. and he comes back with this woman. Obviously, she's Japanese, she's not Italian. But again, I suppose there's that kind of, she's literally been brought yeah. from outside, from the West. A very westernized, elegant lady. And yeah. that absolutely brings to the, brings to the forefront of the interplay between national and, and, and international that's going on in the film. And tradition versus, you know, the new modern landscape where what's foreign and what's indigenous is kind of being intertwined and sort of merged together and one's being prioritized perhaps over over the other and 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 that definitely parallels with how the film is kind of mm. cleft into with the world of Japan um as a sort of modernized space and then and then as they head towards the house the haunted house of the aunt it it does it sort of falls back into yeah. into the past and and the terrible place becomes the past and that point of trauma that's being hidden by a glaze of consumerism of the advertisement-like mm. reality that they all live is kind of stripped away. Mm. Well, this is the thing about the actual house itself because obviously we've not discussed it yet. Um, it's a very, it's a very. I think there is something to be said of the fact that it's also very much a kind of traditional Japanese style house. Like it's out in the countryside, so it's not an urban. Well, obviously, it isn't otherwise. Why would they go on holiday there? But you know what I mean. I think there's also a big focus on a specifically Japanese features. Like there's the bath, for example. There's like the well outside, all of the architecture, and especially in comparison to like Angel. So Angel's houses you normally see, if I remember correctly, but that looks reasonably westernized and urban to Modern, me. Yeah. And like you know, it's got a balcony, etc. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that the haunted house is this very Japanese architectural structure mm. as well. Mm. That's so true, and they kind of have this sort of romanticized um, time, really, of, of you know, kind of like receding yeah. from receding from the lives that they know, the sort of the technologically yeah, led from lives. modernity and consumerism. Yeah, and they sort of all enjoy it, and it's kind of like a, a nice, cute thing for them to sort of bond over, mm. isn't it? They're like, oh, you know, like put the thing in the well. You know, that's charming. That's so cute and quaint. Whereas for yeah. the aunt, those are those are the things that she just does you know that's the life that she lives it's not a life that's in the past for her you know and and but for them it is it's them taking a sort of 
well, you know, to like to use the 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 imagery of of their journey towards the towards the house, it's like a day trip. It's like a fun school excursion into the past, you know, where they're seemingly meant to enjoy this thing. They they kind of consume it almost like a film or as tourists in a simulation of the past, you know, where they can kind of take part in, you know, putting watermelons mm. in the well, wearing traditional costumes, bathing in traditional style baths, but they're yeah. they're never really um they're never at risk of actually coming into contact with that world but then of course no. like you know as they start it's getting just, eaten it's up, literal holiday just retreat yeah exactly but then of course that's and turned on its head go back to when mm-hmm. they start getting consumed by the past you know they they literally get like yeah. eaten up one by one and then they're not they don't ever get to return can i ask you one more question before we start to wrap up mm. something just one more thing that i think we should discuss um so obviously the fact is that the film is very much focused on women mm. there are a few male characters but say just a teacher at the start who then like fantasy has these images of coming to go and rescue them and again like you said he ends up being turned into bananas and there's also the father who is just kind of so oh wait annoying when we what? see when we sorry <laughs> that's just <laughs> i didn't realize that that's what happened when when we see um the teacher coming to the house to get them when he transforms yeah. into a load of bananas are we seeing fantasies projection or are we seeing what's actually happening no no i think i think we're seeing what's happening but actually that's an interesting question mm. you could say that because again he is basically almost primarily seen apart from the very beginning so all of the men in the film are still seen completely in relation two women obviously all the main characters are women the villain is a woman our protagonists are all women the kind of semi-villain of the um stepmother is a woman there's just a dad briefly at the start just a male teacher and then literally like a fruit seller etc who appears in it for about five seconds it's a bit creepy. i wanted to ask you just before we stop just to discuss um what do you think do you think that the film ultimately kind of emphasizes like female competition or female solidarity because you could argue, obviously, that there's this idea of, like, specifically... Because it was written by a man. Well, actually, it's such an interesting thing. So, obviously, um, the director is a man. Mm. But um, he had a lot of impa- input from his um, 10-year-old daughter. Mm. Um, the story was written by a woman. But the screenplay was written by a man who I checked his IMDb credits. Let me just remind myself of which one he was. He was... Um, Chiha Katsura. He, um, one of the, another film that he wrote was actually a film about a rapist that showed like the victim like enjoying the rape, etc. So I don't think he's the most feminist, you know, screenwriter in the world. Mm. Now, I, I, I bear in mind, I think what he did was literally write the, he didn't write the story, he wrote the script. So he scripted okay. it. But I was going to say, do you think that this is a film that kind of promotes like homosexual relationships between women? Or do you think it's a film that, by making it all about women, kind of puts this generational conflict um, onto kind of women specifically and kind of presents older women, especially as like a threat to younger women? Because older women have all these connotations of like, you know... um, They're kind of demonised, right? The older older single woman is kind of... Desexualisation. Yeah. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? I think you should speak what first. Do I, yeah. think I asked a question. Okay. I think I'm um, going to turn it back first. at you and then I'll, I'll say after you. I think, um, so there is this really interesting article. I'm so sorry. I can't remember who it's by. I can just have a little check 
now but um there was this really interesting article that kind of about like queer theory in the film they argued specifically the stepmother character as well mm. the angel's relationship with her is not just one based on kind of like because unlike the auntie for example obviously just that woman is not presented as this kind of like barren desexualized old lady she's an older lady mm. but she's kind of threatening because she still is this kind of like beautiful being and every time she's portrayed she's portrayed with like like you said the floating scarf and like beautiful music and actually the um the song that plays as she comes to the house at the end of the film oh yeah is um kind of like a love song that's like you it has lyrics like you can come and live with me etc and i find that really interesting and her hair's in the wind and she's in this like modern car yeah and i think that's all right she's sort of smiling away and that's very adverty like isn't it yeah and so you could technically argue that um in a way rather than a relationship of jealousy mm. um also i figured out it was written by erin nunada this article called breaking the mirror household and bad love objects this kind of threatening figure in a weird way she's threatening not because she's horrible but she's threatening because she is kind of like an object of desire in and of herself Ooh. as in yeah and so and then you could argue that literal like immolation at the end is kind of like passionate etc oh. so like it's a simultaneous like desire but also hatred because of the threat that comes from that desire. Oh. And so I think with the stepmother, there's actually really interesting ways in which you can interpret it. But again, what I said in the question just now about the old lady and her being kind of a threat because she's like the auntie, because she's kind of like old mm. and obviously she's a spinster as well. Mm. I would in a weird way still be inclined to think that actually in a way that is kind of promoting a specifically like female inter, not interfere. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, but, but amongst women, like this kind of fear of, being old and being ugly mm. and being alone. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? I, I think I agree in the sense that the trope of the older single woman is absolutely like mm. negative and, and especially in, you know, in, in horror films or just like the, the trope of the witch, you know? Um, yeah. Not even in literature, but in real life, you know, when they had um, witch hunts and all that kind of thing. Um, the idea is threatening because it's, it's, it's runs in opposition to, patriarchal society um because a woman should be married at that age a woman should be um conforming to the the, the expectations and i suppose mm. in in a in a rigid um I can't speak <laughs> rigid rigidly traditionalist country that mm. are, well that you know we're led to believe japan is you know even though of course there's there there are aspects of of Japan they're extremely uh, modern and forward looking you know just like all countries really there's a there's a there's a bit of a conflict of what should a woman be really you know um and, and I think this is something interesting because you could obviously argue for a feminist reading of the film in its centering of um female perspective female subjectivity and like female desires but also you could argue that in a way you could say it is kind of regressive and it kind of puts this generational conflict onto women and therefore plays into these themes of you know old women being these kind of like scary mm. horrible like threats that no young woman wants to end up like and young women mm. specifically because there's such of an emphasis on like the naive consumerism of the girls and consumerism has always been particularly associated with women mm. as women of being just kind of inherently more stupid and more naive and more unable to kind of conceive the world for what it really is yeah like i suppose like rather than so, yeah. learning from the aunt the film doesn't frame 
the aunt figure as a kind of didactic figure or a figure that, that they can't really commune with her or sort of like share a sense of strength and and like you said like this sort of camaraderie um rather it's it's yeah it's women against women yeah wraps up episode five of the gussy podcast for now our episode about house and we just wanted to let you know that next week in episode six we're going to be moving on to crimson peak so that's a good 30 40 years in the future but we think still has a lot of interesting thematic links and that will be the conclusion of our houses series so thank you very much for listening for now and yeah don't forget to subscribe stay safe and see you later